Welcome to the Koozie Show with Grant Serapo. Today, we're going to talk about the National Football League. It's week one. Football's back, buds. Come on. So the way the show is going to work this particular week, and probably every week going forward, is we're going to get into some storylines, what happened over the weekend. We're going to touch on the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then, obviously, we're going to take a gander at uh, the Detroit Football Kittens. We're going to take a look at uh, whether we restored the roar or not. And we're also going to talk some fantasy. Last but not least, I'm going to give you my picks. We'll roll the dice and see what happens. All right, here we go. Week one of the National Football League. We're going to start by talking about what an amazing week one it was. Outstanding week one. Fun fact. Four games were decided by one point. That's crazy. If you watch football on Sunday, chances are you watched an amazing, outstanding game that came down to the wire. Isn't that why we watch sports? That's why I watch sports. Come on. To get it started, the kickoff of the season, Carolina at Denver. Rematch of the Super Bowl. Everybody makes it up to be this big hyped event. Revenge is a dish best served on Thursday. A great man once said that. Wait, I said that. But it didn't mean anything because Carolina lost. Who in the world thought Carolina was going to lose? They went in to play a rookie quarterback. They're out for glory. They're out for revenge. Prove all the naysayers wrong for their disappointing Super Bowl loss. And they had it. They had it in the bag. All they had to do was make a field goal. That's a timeout. That means timeout. They iced the kicker. Oh, wow. They iced the kicker. They iced him. He's froze. He's probably still frozen right now. Made it. Nope. Timeout. Iced him. He missed it. And that's how we get it started. Week one. Not to mention Cam Newton getting pummeled in the head repeatedly with no calls, might I add, or concussion protocol, but we'll get to that later. Another outstanding game. The Raiders take on the New Orleans Saints. Ooh, Captain Jack Del Rio. Can we have a round of applause for Captain Jack? Jack Del Rio wins the Gonads Award this week. Wow, this guy has got balls. Massive balls. They're crazy. He went for two instead of the tie. No one does that. Who does that? No one. No one does it. He's got a young football team with tons of talent, tons of promise. Historic franchise. You're playing the New Orleans Saints, led by Drew Brees. Look what the Brees blew in. Instead of going for the tie and the extra point, he goes for two and the win. Tosses it. The left corner of the end zone to Michael Crabtree. Conversion. Let's go ahead by one. It did come down to a field goal, which was missed. But just the fact that he had the testicular fortitude to go for two. Probably every other head coach in the National Football League would not have done that. Is outstanding. You, my friend, have gonads. You want these marbles. Another great game. 
San Diego versus Kansas City. If you watch the first half of that game, it didn't look great because it was 21 to 3. San Diego was throwing it all over. It was the return of the Bolo, Yolo, Bolo, Phillip Rivers slanging it every which way all over Kansas City. But they come back from 21 3 at the half to put it into OT. And then Alex Smith absolutely leads them to victory in overtime. Outstanding win. Another great game. I don't know if you're counting, but that's three amazing games. Did anybody watch the Green Bay-Jacksonville game? Because that was also really good. Very competitive game. You have the veteran squad, heavy favorite, Green Bay Packers, led by Aaron Rodgers. You know, Mr. Discount double-check himself. Taking on the young upcoming squad that lots of people, myself included, expect big things this year. Not big like, let's go to the playoffs big, but you know, a leap forward. Jacksonville's got tons of talent. Blake Bortles is a very good and promising young quarterback with lots of weapons, which is what you need. Four-point win for Green Bay, but not only a four-point win. Jacksonville actually had the opportunity for a game-winning drive. They failed, but it was exciting. Came down to the very end. Did anybody watch the Detroit Colts game? Outstanding game. Very close. Long story short, comes down to 37 seconds. Detroit Lions down by one. Due to a mixed extra point by one Matt Prater. 37 seconds, Matthew Stafford leads a game-winning drive to get them within field goal range so that Matt Prater can redeem himself, knock it through the uprights. Outstanding. Phenomenal. The Cincinnati Jets game, also an incredible game, went back and forth the entire time. One-point victory for Cincinnati. Miami-Seattle, surprisingly close game. Seattle, again, game-winning drive at the end. Threw it to uh, Dougie Baldwin. That's my boy. He's on my fantasy team, a.k.a. Doug Life, to secure the win. America's Game of the Week. Giants at Cowboys. Went back and forth the whole game. Rookie quarterback Dak Prescott. Very entertaining game. Ultimately came down to a one-point victory in favor of the G-Men. All because Terrence Williams didn't run out of bounds. He didn't even try. Come on. Apparently he claimed he was going to shake a guy and then go out of bounds, but let's be serious, bud. You're not kidding anybody. Just, just admit it. You didn't know what was happening. It's fine. You'll get him next week. The last epic game of the weekend. Sunday Night Football. New England travels all the way to Arizona. Tom Brady's not there playing quarterback. We got this other guy. We got Garoppolo. Is he going to do it? Can he do it? Of course he can. Why wouldn't he? Does anyone remember Matt Castle? He was an NFL quarterback. And he was a good one when you plugged him into the New England Patriots system. Not anywhere else. But when you plugged him in for the Patriots, they just keep on going. Plug and play. Game winning field goal. Outstanding week one of the NFL. Absolutely outstanding. Just a lot of close games. Really good. Now let's get to some of the bad. Cam Newton on Thursday night got destroyed. They basically called a hit out on him in the second half. He got hit not once, not twice, not three times. Getting smacked in the head over and over again with no calls. It was like the referees decided, we hate you. You deserve this. Outrageous. 
can I just get one call? One targeting call? One roughing the passer? No? Weird. Seems like there was a, a score to settle there. I'm not going to pretend that I know any of the officials or what the NFL was thinking, but it seems kind of outrageous that last year's MVP basically looked like he was getting dominated like CM Punk in the UFC and not a single flag was thrown. Really weird. And not only were there no flags thrown, but the NFL is rumored to have a concussion protocol. I say rumored because it was not utilized whatsoever when it clearly should. Cam Newton, foggy in his post-game press conference, probably concussed. But we will never know because there was no protocol utilized. Why do you ask? They would have had to take him out in the last handful of minutes of the game and he probably would have missed those minutes. Does the NFL want last year's MVP to get taken out in the crucial clutch minutes of a rematch of last year's Super Bowl? Of course not. They want him in there. So my real question is, if the NFL has a concussion protocol and then they don't use it, do they really have one? No, they don't have one. It's all for show. They don't care. It's a facade. They care about one thing, money. Saying you have a concussion protocol is fine. That will help protect your money. Utilizing your concussion protocol on star players will not make you money. And therefore, they won't. Because let's face it, we know who they are. They're the real life mafia. On a lighter note, let's take a look at a rising star in the league. Jameis Winston for Tampa Bay. Jameis Winston, divisional game, going against the Atlanta Falcons. What'd my man throw up? Ooh, nearly 70% completion percentage. 281 yards, four, count of four TDs. One amazing toss to their tight end with a quarterback rating of 122. Really good, Jameis. Let's hear it for Jameis. Woo! A boss. There was questions uh, about Jameis when he came into the league due to all his um, questionable extracurriculars when he was in college. However, he is rising to the occasion because he's surrounded by weapons. So many weapons. Mike Evans, Vincent Jackson. They have an outstanding tight end. Doug, the muscle hamster, Martin. So many weapons. He can do whatever he wants. Throw it all over the place. Not to mention, they have a fairly good defense. I actually think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, led by one young poised Jameis Winston, can sneak into the playoffs. Very possible. Do they think they're better than Atlanta? Yeah, I do. Not just because they beat them in week one, because they're going to beat them again later in the season. Tampa Bay might be the second best team in the NFC South. And I'm really excited to watch the Carolina Panthers take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not once, but twice. Going to be a very entertaining game. The next thing I want to talk about is the NFC versus the AFC. Over the years, I feel like it's common knowledge that the NFC has been stronger than the AFC. Very similar in the way the Western Conference of the NBA is unanimously considered better than the Eastern Conference of the NBA. The NFC typically is stronger than the AFC, at least as of late. The AFC usually has a handful of teams that are elite, uh, a la the Denver Broncos or whatever team paid Manning's on. And uh, the New England Patriots. Occasionally the Steelers show up and every other team 
outside of those elite squads are just like, I don't know, mediocre. The elite teams uh, come from the NFC. You got Green Bay, Arizona, Seattle, Carolina, New Orleans. All these teams ring home as being very good. But in week one, that's all we have to gauge. Week one, mind you, very early. Is the AFC in the process of taking the reins from the NFC? Very possible. Right out of the gates, Denver takes out Carolina. Carolina, definitely one of the elite teams in the NFC. A lot of people, myself included, expected Carolina to handily beat or at least secure a victory over the Denver Broncos, but they failed to do so. New England, an elite team, however, minus Tom Brady, uh, and not only missing Tom Brady, also missing Rob Gronkowski. Gronk, he's gone. He didn't play. Traveling across the West Coast to take on Arizona, believed to be one of the better NFC teams and one of the better teams in general in the National Football League. They secured the victory. New England upset Arizona in a wild game under Garoppolo. Weird. That's two impressive wins for the AFC. Then we have Oakland triumphing in dramatic fashion over New Orleans. That's three good to elite NFC teams that were unexpectedly taken out by AFC teams. Green Bay, they won. However, the game was very close and Green Bay is expected to be one of the NFC one of the NFC's elite teams. Seattle barely escaped with their lives against the Miami Dolphins. I don't even know who's on the Miami Dolphins. I swear Ricky Jarrett's on Miami Dolphins, right? He's represented by Dwayne the Rock Johnson. So I ask you. So tell me what you think. Why don't you get at me on Twitter at the Koozie Show and let me know if you think the AFC is better than the NFC this year. I'm very interested to know because it's looking very likely that we have a changing of the guard. Now let's get down to business. Let's head to the glove, the midden. We're going to Motown to check out the Detroit football kittens. The Lions took on the Indianapolis Colts this past weekend, week one, going into the 2016 NFL season. The one question I had, and most people have, everyone has, in light of Calvin Johnson retiring, is what is going to happen to Matthew Stafford. It's a make or break year for Matthew. It really is. He's been in the league a long time. He's had numerous chances, shown a lot of promise, but also let the fan base down. Time and time again, it seems. So this is it. I got a theory on Matthew Stafford. My theory on Matthew is that Calvin Johnson was such a great player, he enabled him. Calvin Johnson served as a crutch for Matthew Stafford. Again, this is just theory. When you have a player that's as good as Calvin Johnson, you can just throw it in his vicinity, he'll go get it. Stafford goes through his progressions. I don't think he got into a habit or routine of actually completing all of his progressions. I feel like maybe he'd get to the first, second option, maybe glance at the third option, and if he got any kind of pressure on him, he would panic, abandon his progression, and just hoist it to Calvin Johnson. And hope for the best. Sometimes it worked. And Calvin Johnson made outstanding plays. And also got a lot of wear and tear on his body. Which may have ultimately led to him retiring early. So now there's no Calvin. 
what's Stafford going to do? So the real question is, this I'm putting my theory to the test here. My thinking is that now that Calvin Johnson's gone and he does not have that crutch, one of two things are going to happen. He's either going to get exposed because he won't go through all of his progressions and he's not going to have that safety valve to just heave it to when he's about to get destroyed. And instead, he's going to be now forced to become a better quarterback by completing all of his progressions and actually throwing the ball to the best option. That's just a theory, and we only have one game to base it around. But you know what? I salute you, Matthew. On a make-or-break year, bud, you're making it. At least in week one, second highest quarterback rating, 128 among quarterbacks. Zero turnovers, zero. Outstanding. Completed nearly 80% of his passes. Threw three touchdowns for 340 yards. He threw the ball all over. He threw it to running backs. We saw Anquan Bolden get into the mix. Marvin Jones Jr., Eric Ebron, Golden Tate. It went in everyone's hands. He threw it to everyone. What does that mean? That means he's reading all of his progressions and making the correct decision. Very good game by Matthew Stafford. And not only that, he put the exclamation point on it. 37 seconds left. You're down. You got to get in field goal range. You got three timeouts. What are you going to do? He led the team like a savvy vet, slanging it all over, getting the Detroit football kittens exactly where they needed to be in field goal range and allowing Matt Prater to redeem himself by knocking down a game-winning field goal in dramatic fashion. We salute you, Matthew Stafford. Cheers to you, bud. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Not only that, but he showed some outstanding signs of leadership. He was heated. Matt was passionate. In that game-winning drive, Eric Ebron caught the ball and one particular play, struggled to try to get an extra yard. Normally, you wouldn't fault a guy for putting in extra effort and trying to get more yards, but he has to understand the situation. Not a lot of time left. We got the first down. Go down. We need to get back up and run another play. And what's great about it, call timeout. Matthew Stafford goes there, tells him, you know, like, you caught it, just go down. That's great. That shows great leadership because he's very aware of what needs to happen, and now he's spreading that knowledge to everyone else. Right after that, Throw on the left side to Marvin Jones Jr. Again, puts in extra effort, just like Eric Ebron. Doesn't get out of bounds. And you saw Matthew Stafford just livid, you know, screaming at the top of his lungs, just please get out of bounds. Not in those words, mind you. A couple of expletives in there. No one's holding against you, Matt. No, but really good leadership skills. Just the fact that, I mean, you don't want a guy that's going to be in your face all the time, making you feel like dirt or anything. But just the fact that he's passionate and providing them with Very intense, constructive criticism, letting them know what they need to do. As a fan, it should make you feel good because it's letting you know that Matt Stafford wants to win. This is important to him. He doesn't want to lose. He's sick of losing for stupid reasons, which brings me to my next point. He's sick of being SOL. Matt Stafford is sick of being the same old Lions, which for a brief moment, they almost turned into. Other things to note. I don't know if you guys know, but it feels like the Detroit Lions have not had a running game since Barry Sanders left. It uh, really feels that way. Missing in action, the running game. But it seems like 
they may have found a makeshift running game. Amir Abdullah looks like he possibly got over his fumbling conundrums. And Theo Riddick looked really good. Granted, this is all against an Indianapolis Colts uh, kind of poopy defense. They're poopy. But whatever. When your running game has been abysmal as the Detroit Lions over the years, you sort of got to take these small victories where you can get them. Amir Abdullah looked really good. Really good for a second-year guy that had a that struggled his rookie season. He seemed as though he's really put in some effort and bounced back. Got 63 yards rushing, 57 yards receiving, and he got a touchdown. Great. Theo Riddick looked outstanding. I thought last year they should have gave the ball way more to Theo Riddick. He's underutilized, an incredibly dynamic weapon. Led the league in receptions among running backs. Theo got a little scared, had to take him off to do, uh, I'm doing quotes right now, air quotes, concussion protocol. Yeah, right. They probably tossed him a Mountain Dew, told him to get back in the game. And he did, because he's a boss. Theo Riddick. Looks like a potential game changer. Is that premature? Yes. But I don't care. I'm going to say it. He really looks dynamic. Really looks good. Makes outstanding cuts. Got phenomenal quickness. And he can move laterally. Really good player. He has the potential, at least for a couple years, to be elite. 45 yards rushing with a TD, and 63 yards receiving with another TD. The combination of Amir Abdullah and Theo Riddick is going to be really good throughout the season. Not to mention they got guys like Zach Zenner and Leon Washington. Woo! Rookie got his first TD to change it up. One of the questions I do have, though, we got to talk about, just like I said, the good, bad, and the ugly. Some of the ugly was the defense. The defense came out in what appears to be a good shape, uh, forced the Colts to punt three times in the first half. But then, as you would expect any other professional football team to do, especially one led by Andrew Luck, that offense is going to then come out of halftime making halftime adjustments and respond to what you were doing on defense. You, then as a defense, need to respond to these adjustments. Become aware of them and respond. However, That did not happen, which is why the Lions almost blew a 21-3 lead. The Detroit Football Kittens defense only forced the Colts to punt one time in the second half. That means every single time they got the ball. And they forced zero turnovers. They also forced zero turnovers. One punt, zero turnovers. That means that every single time, except once... The Colts, as soon as they touched the ball, they drove down the field. They scored a touchdown or scored a field goal. That's just not good. You know, that's very indefensible, which is ironic because it's the defense we're speaking. The defense is indefensible. So bottom line is they got to get better. And hopefully they will because this next coming week, they're not taking on Andrew Luck, one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, but they're taking on uh, Mariota from the Tennessee Titans. And it's at home. So hopefully they can correct some of these errors and really show out and force Mariota to make some mistakes and finally get some turnovers here. And for God's sakes, make <laughs> make the Titans punt more than one time in the second half. Please. Driving me crazy. Last thing I'll say about the Detroit Football Kittens, they are playing the Tennessee Titans next week, week two, at home, home opener. 
they have an extremely, extremely good possibility of going 2-0 after week two. And then taking that 2-0 momentum to Lambeau Field for what should be a battle. The Lions beat Green Bay last year in Lambeau for the first time in forever. And if they're ever going to have a repeat performance of that, having a 2-0 momentum behind them, it's not going to hurt. So I'm excited. Let's see what happens. Let's take out Mariota. And then let's drive up to Lambeau and discount double check all over Aaron Rodgers. That sounded gross. But it's real. Forward down the field. All right. So that'll do it for this week's edition of The Detroit Football Kittens. Speaking of week two, it's time to get into a little fantasy, which brings us to our next segment. Waiver Wire. Which one is it? You must choose. Choose wisely. Who's out there on waivers? Every league's different, of course. But here's some guys that might be available. We talked about Theo Riddick earlier. If there's any Detroit fans out there, I'm sure he's not available in your league. However, for those people listening who aren't necessarily Detroit fans, Theo Riddick is only owned in 34% of fantasy leagues out there. And just like we talked about earlier, he had 108 total yards and two TDs, and I figure he's going to be a big part of the offense. It doesn't really matter whether he starts or not. He's definitely going to share the load with Amir Abdullah, and he's going to get significant touches and catches So he's a very valuable asset in any type of PPR league going forward. So if he's available in your league, you better put a waiver claim in for him. Wide receivers. Philadelphia wide receiver Nelson Aguilar. My man Nelson. Pardon me if I butchered your name. Anyways, only owned in 5% of fantasy leagues. Came out of week one with six targets, 57 yards, and a touchdown. Not to mention Philadelphia's tight ends having some issues. Might not be available And if he's not available, his targets are then going to have to get spread out somewhere else, probably to Nelson. So take a gander at Nelson. Another wide receiver, Dallas's version of Wes Welker, Cole Beasley. Do you love Cole Beasley? No. But maybe if you got plagued by an injury bug like Keenan Allen, you need a guy to come in and plug in. And if you're in a deeper league, you might want to scoop up Cole Beasley because he's playing with a Rookie quarterback in Dak Prescott, who's going to spread the ball around a lot, just like he did in week one, throwing the ball to Cole Beasley 12 times, 12 targets, 67 yards. Not to mention the Dallas Cowboys in week two playing the Washington Redskins, who just got absolutely shredded by Ben Roethlisberger. And who else? Antonio Brown. Fire up, Chips. Last but not least, we'll talk about Denver's tight end, Virgil Green. Denver Broncos have a rookie QB. Does anyone know what a rookie QB's best friend is? It's a tight end. And Virgil Green had a pretty promising preseason. Not to mention a decent week one. Five targets, almost scored a touchdown. Ball floated just over him. And Demarius Thomas is a little banged up. So I figure Virgil Green is going to be a pretty reliable pick going forward. He's, if nothing else, will be consistent and it's going to give you some decent, consistent fantasy numbers. Will he have some breakout weeks? Possibly, but who knows? If nothing else, probably be consistent. Virgil Green, only owned in 34% of fantasy leagues out there. So that'll do it for this week's edition of Waiver Wire. Which one is it? You must choose. But choose wisely. Now it's time to separate the men from the boys, which brings us to our next segment. 
NFL Pick'em. Fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, and fuck you, I'm out. First matchup, we got the New York Jets at Buffalo. I'm going to take the Jets. Buffalo didn't look very good going against Baltimore last week. And the Jets put up a really good fight, just losing barely last week to Cincinnati. So I'm going to go with the Jets. And Fitzmagic. Whoa, oh, Fitzmagic. Baltimore at Cleveland. No brainer. We're going Baltimore. Cleveland's the worst. Good thing you guys got LeBron James. Too bad he can't play football. Detroit at Tennessee. We're going Detroit. Home opener. Going against Mariota and a young Tennessee Titans team. New England versus Miami in New England. Sticking with Garoppolo. If they just took out the Arizona Cardinals, why in the world can't they take out Ryan Tannehill? The G-Man! New York Giants. Their home opener, taking on the New Orleans Saints. I'm actually going to go with New Orleans on this one. Taking the away team. Feeling like New Orleans probably felt like they got robbed. Let one go in week one. They can be amped. They don't want to go 0-2. And not to mention, I don't know what's going on with the Giants. Seems like they're underachieving, even though they have Eli Manning. We're going to go with New Orleans. The Pittsburgh Steelers versus Cincinnati Bengals. This is going to be a great game. Really hard one to pick. So with an outstanding performance from Pittsburgh in week one, I'm just going to go with Pittsburgh because they're the home team. Washington Redskins at home versus the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to pick Washington. Carolina Panthers at home with their home opener versus San Francisco 49ers. Chip Kelly led San Francisco. Let's see how Chip does on the road versus the Carolina Panthers. I don't think very well. I'm taking Carolina. Houston versus Kansas City. Another really close game. Hard to pick, but I'm going to go with Houston because they're the home team. Seattle versus the Los Angeles Rams, the team formerly known as St. Louis. I'm going to go with Seattle. Even though they struggled against Miami, the Rams just got destroyed by the 49ers, and they're just in utter disarray. Next game, Arizona, week two at home against Tampa Bay. I really like Tampa Bay, but just like New Orleans felt like they let one slip, Arizona definitely felt like they let one slip, and I think they're going to be out for blood when they take on Tampa Bay, so I'm going to go with Arizona. Denver versus the Indianapolis Colts. Should be a good game. Denver's got the much better defense, and they're at home. I'm going to take Denver. Oakland versus Atlanta. Oakland's at home. I don't like Atlanta. They just seem fraudulent. I'm going to go with Oakland and Jack Del Rio's Gajones. San Diego versus Jacksonville. San Diego at home. San Diego got dealt a bad hand. Keenan Allen gone for the rest of the season. That's going to be rough. Plus, I like the young, promising Jacksonville team. I'm going with Jacksonville. Green Bay versus Minnesota at Minnesota. Woo! The first game in their new stadium. It's going to be good. Can't wait to see that new stadium. And not to mention they got Sean Hill out there. Hashtag the gunslinger returns. Hashtag Christmas come early. But come on, I'm going with Green Bay. Let's be serious. I'm not stupid. Last game on our list, Chicago and Philadelphia. I don't really know what to make of Philadelphia. I mean, they played the Cleveland Browns. So I'm going to give the nod to Chicago because they're the home team. They're having their own set of issues. However, I like to think that they'll work it out in front of the... uh, Windy City fans. And that'll do it for this edition of NFL Pick'em. Fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, and fuck you, I'm out. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Koozie Show. Great week one of the National Football League. Hopefully we'll have just as an outstanding week two. We'll be able to talk about that. Detroit Lions restore the roar. 
Matt Stafford continues his conquest throughout the National Football League. You got my fantasy picks. Who's out there on the waiver wire? Godspeed on all your fantasy ventures. And I gave you my pickums. Take it or leave it. I'm out of here. Adios. Cheers. I said I'm not scared. Look out, man. The Koozie Show.